Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. And today, I had Scott Anthony Barlow on the podcast, and we got into what it means to really take control over your career. And instead of just letting your career happen to you, how can you be intentional about where you invest your time and what value you give back to the world? And how important it is to see over the perceived barriers that you have about making a big and important change in your life. Sometimes it can feel like we're taking a big risk, but truly the greatest risk is not making the change. So please enjoy this conversation with Scott Anthony Barlow. Hey everybody, welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. We are lucky to have Scott Anthony Barlow on the podcast with us today. Scott, thanks so much for being here, man. How you doing? I am really, really good. I'm I'm excited for this. I know that we had to reschedule a couple of times, but I'm pumped, glad to be here. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, but equally as excited. Let me give a little uh, intro for you. So Scott Anthony Barlow is a best-selling author and CEO of Happen to Your Career and host of the Happen to Your Career podcast, which happens to be no big deal, over 3 million downloads in 159 countries and is the largest career change podcast in the world. So congratulations on your success. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So do you mind just give a little bit more, giving a little bit more background on where you're coming from and what brought you to this mission that you're on around uh, careers and making these big changes and helping people figure out where they want to go? Yeah, I would love to say it was 100% intentional and I just, you know, had an epiphany and one day woke up and I said this is this is what we're doing I'm founding a company around it but that's not at all how it went not even remotely close. So <laughs> to answer that question we have to go back a little bit and I was uh you and I were chatting I was I was born and raised in northern Idaho almost as far as you can go before you hit the Canadian border but I grew up pretty poor and you know my mom still tells stories uh, like hey, I, I wrote a check and bought groceries with it and hoped that it would you know the money would be there you know when Monday came around. Uh, but anyhow, so growing up like that, I thought that what success was was you checked all the boxes. That style of success where you went you know, went to college, you got a good job, you earned a bunch of money, you maybe promoted a couple of times, and then everything was happy and everything was wonderful. And I know. You know that that probably sounds ridiculous. That that's that's how I thought, but that's that's what I was going through my mind when I was you know eight, nine, ten years old, observing this and saying, I just I don't want this same thing later on. So fast forward a bit, you know, my wife Alyssa and I uh, got together and ended up getting married. You know, now we've been together for over twenty years, and at that time, I and she had just just gotten out of school, just gotten out of college. And I really didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I had this, I had this one job offer, an opportunity, and everybody around me was telling me that it was a good, good job and that I should take it. Yeah. And and it seemed pretty good because I was going to have 20 people report to me. Like that seemed pretty good, you know, not too far to college. I was going to make more money than my mom and my dad had made at that point in time. Uh, they were going to give me a BMW if I was successful my first year. Like all, all those sounded like great things, right? But honestly, I wasn't really particularly excited about the opportunity. It was just, it was there. It was right in front of me. It was available. So I took it. I, and then my wife and I moved down to Portland, Oregon. Uh, have you spent much time in Portland, Oregon? 
Just a little bit. Just yeah, a little bit? Okay. Place. All right. Well, so uh, the same highway that runs through Seattle as well runs north and south through through Portland. And it's you know I-5. And uh, I spent so much time commuting on that. My first year, I was commuting three hours a day back and forth. I was working 70 to 90-hour weeks. 90-hour weeks were not abnormal. And I was uber-stressed. I had gained almost 50 pounds. It was not a great fit at all, not even a little bit. And so I, the 50 pounds came from because I was not enjoying myself and I was medicating. I was uh, going and you know eating, eating and drinking milkshakes at the burger place next door. And I, I remember you know on my commute, since I had so much of it, just like looking at around at all the other vehicles and like wondering, is this, is this what it's like when people like go to work? Like, this is terrible. Like, how, how do people do this? And it went on like this for around a, a year. And I started experiencing um, what I now know were panic attacks. And I, I just literally didn't even know what a panic attack was. But I was having this thing happen because it was such an unhealthy environment, such a terrible fit for me even though I was well-paid, even though I had all these other great things. Um, and at some point I realized like, I, I can't keep doing this. And so I decided I was going to do something. I had to do anything. So I, I drove to the office that day. I called my boss who lived in another state and said, Hey, I, th I think I made a mistake. You know, I'm not sure if I should have taken this job. And he listened, he asked a bunch of questions and I honestly felt really relieved after having that conversation. And three weeks later, he fired me. Wow. Which I was, I was surprised about, um, to say the least. I did not see that coming. I thought that we were going to, we were going to have some conversations and we we're going to figure out how to, how to change what I was doing a little bit. But I'm so glad that happened because uh, even though I moved my wife down away from her family to Portland and didn't even have a job to show for it at the time, I remember driving home in the, in the rain and it was the 90th like literally the 90th day in a, a row that it rained in portland i had a i had a tally counter on my whiteboard so <laughs> i remember driving home in the in the rain and thinking like i can't i can't ever do this again i can't there's mm -hmm. no way i can do this again i have to figure out how this stuff works there's got to be a way to influence what I'm doing for work and how I'm doing work. There's got to be a way to you know take control and grab the reins and and figure out like why some people are actually I had met a few people that actually enjoyed their work. And I didn't I didn't know how to do that, but I, I made a promise to myself. So although I wouldn't wish that experience on anyone because it got so bad that I was thinking really crazy thoughts like, you know, what if I what if I, you know, stress eat myself sick so I can just go home and have a day off? Or, you know, what if I just like jump out the second story window and break some legs? Will that give me enough time off from the, like clearly not healthy, right? But mm. I wouldn't change it because it gave me the gift of realizing that I had to do something drastically different. So I spent the next 10 years trying to figure out like, how does, how does this work? What does fulfilling work look like? How can you utilize your strengths for work was something that I'd heard of along the way. How can you, you know, actually enjoy your work? Why does work have to suck? 
You know, why does everybody think it needs to suck? You know, do you have to, when you go and make a bunch of money, is that mean you automatically are not going to enjoy it too? And so all these questions became my quest over roughly the next 10 years. And I went from what I would call some dream job to the next dream job to the next dream job. And every time, every time what I wanted and needed evolved, then I would find a new and you know a new version of what uh, what was going to fit me and my family at that time and what ended up happening is after after i made all of these changes it, then i kept finding myself in the same conversation over and over again where people are like hey how did you how did you go from operations to hr management like that doesn't that's not a normal shift how did you get a you know $40,000 increase when you know the company was saying that we're not doing increases this year uh, and i I found myself just having these conversations and helping people make their own shifts. And I, after maybe the 20th or 30th time where people are starting to offer to pay, I realized maybe there's something here. Maybe this, mm. maybe I could help people in this way. And that's where it happened to your career was born many years later. And what a, what a cool story and what a great way to find your, your place. It just, you, you almost like we like, we like to say you earn the right to, you know, turn this into a business just through your own experience. And you said it before, but getting fired uh, from that, that sounds like real crappy leader uh, was, was a gift, right? And it helped you on that, that uh, put you on that path and get that momentum going. Yeah, it was, well, and here's the part that I didn't even tell you. The way that it happened was <sighs> my, my boss came down and I truly think he he felt he was doing the right thing. So absolutely nothing against him. But he came down and told me, he called all of my direct reports in for a training. And then everybody got there. I showed up to work that day. And uh, we he met me at my desk and said, hey, guess what? Um, you've got a choice. You can either you know take two weeks pay and walk out of here right now, or you can get up in front of all your direct reports and tell them that you're leaving. And then we'll give you severance. And so it was, it was highly embarrassing. Whoa. I'm sure that I was, you know, deep red. I don't even remember what was said, but at that point in time, my wife and I didn't really have any money to speak of. So, uh, so I took the, I took the severance and yeah. Wow. I, that's uh again, it was a, a tough situation, but a gift. So here you it are. Was, it and... was, and it really was. And that, that cemented it for me. Cause I don't know if I would have made if it hadn't gone down in that highly embarrassing way, I don't know if I would have made the same type of change. But here's the here's the kicker, though. What was really kind of fascinating to me many years later is that um, that organization, which was a terrible fit for me, and that job, that role, that opportunity was a terrible fit for me. I I had a good friend that I met there at that organization, and he went on to become the VP later on, or VP later on, and then ultimately the president of that organization, you know, almost 15 years later. And he turned around the organization in terms of some of the values things, but it was an amazing opportunity for him. He loved it. And I think that that really uh, makes a case for what was, you know, not fantastic for me was amazing for someone else. And that really cements it that you have to figure out what is, what is the right fit for you, more important than just about any, anything else. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen 
They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. I, I love what you're focused on because I I can relate to it from my own experience and yeah. and having been around others on on either side of that decision and those who've struggled to to make it who are still in a position where they are unhappy all the time and they've just faced with this wall they can't seem to to get over or through and and it's it's painful to watch because I've had to make a couple of difficult decisions myself over the years and um, you know even starting in college. I was in the Air Force ROTC program. I was going to go fly jets in the Air Force. It had been since I was a child. I had pictures of airplanes on my ceiling. It was it was it was the track. And yeah. then I had happened to fall in love with uh, with skydiving along the way in college. And so I left this very kind of secure, like planned out career pathing that was that was uh, pretty baked out for me to go into this really risky scenario. It was really hard for me to make that decision. I felt like I was going into the unknown, into this terrifying place of like, who knows what's going to happen. And there's not much in the, in the way of, of, um, I guess, earning opportunities in that, in that sport, if you will, yes. but followed my passion and, and we were able to build a business called, called iFly. It was indoor skydiving. So somehow turned passion into to business and rode that train for about 11 years. And it was wonderful. I woke up every day loving what I was doing, but like all things, like phases of life, it came to an end and I was stuck in it for, a, you know, about a year, really unhappy with things. Like I, I stopped skydiving. There's a lot of things happening and changing with the business. And like you, I was given a gift. We, we had the opportunity to sell the business. And when I sold the business or we, we sold the business, excuse me, um, it gave me the chance to, to exit, go do, do other things. And what I didn't do was intentionally design the next journey, right? And I ended up in, in jobs that, uh, in gigs that I really was not passionate about, burnt out, working 80 hours, like just totally misaligned. Sure. And it wasn't until like I had that experience again that I was able to just make the change again, hard turn, go a different route. And I'm, I'm forever thankful for it uh, and having that experience. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing because you can help people get that awareness about like, it's not so intimidating. There's a way to go through it and uh, focus on your strengths, like you said, right? Well, I think what's really fascinating is so many people have had a similar experience to what you just described for yourself, where you were involved in something that was really wonderful for you for a long period of time, right? Yeah. But then also, when you're involved in something that's wonderful, it's sometimes difficult to think about what is next beyond that. And, you know, I heard you say that you know, when, when, when you got the gift to be able to sell, you know, sell that uh, organization and, and move on to something else, didn't necessarily have that part figured out. And I think that's normal. Like that really is normal. And 
I think that is the biggest struggle, especially for especially for people who are used to knowing what's next or have a record, a track record of achievement or have you know done really well in one way or another. It's especially painful, I would say, in those cases, more so than other cases. So mm. uh, congratulations, you're human, Chris. That's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think yeah, the question right. is, you know, what's, what can you do about it? And, you know, how do you design, um, you know, how do you design each phase of your life knowing that we're going to move from one season to the next season to the next season? And, you know, what was good at one point is going to maybe be less good. So I think, uh, you know, I think that that's the question that continues to motivate me and, and to help other people is figure that thing out, no matter what they're doing. That's, that's such a good point. Is there, I mean, this is a tough question, but is there any way or any advice you have for someone to try to get in front of and have the foresight to see over the horizon and see those, those phases of life coming? Yeah. I mean, so there's a couple of things. And this is this is one of the things where it's like, how do you pack in uh, 17 years worth of uh, information into about seven minutes? Uh, but here's here's the biggest couple of things that we've learned over the years and working with people all over the world to help them do this and help them get in front and see those phases coming. So thing number one is identifying what creates um, extraordinary or what creates ideal for you has to be a perpetual practice. And that's that's something that is hard. That's not something that's taught in schools. It's certainly not something that is normal by any means. But if you really want to have fulfilling work, ultimately continue to create or design you know, a fulfilling life, then it becomes a practice, not necessarily something I do every time it becomes painful in one way or another. So that's... That's a drastic change in philosophy, number one. And that's, I would say, the hardest thing. Um, and everybody's starting from a different place in terms of what they've experienced or skill level in those areas or you know what they've even seen in terms of how that might practice. We use a tool that, like, it was a really simple tool that I invented for myself uh, way back when, when I was experiencing my first couple of changes. And I, I called it the ideal career profile. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a profile of what creates your ideal career. Now, we we call it career just because uh, we happen to focus on, on work and careers as a whole for our organization. But really, when you look at it, you start to realize very quickly that it's more like a life profile of uh, you know who do you want to become and what creates a fulfilling life in each area of your life. Arguably, work is one of those big areas for sure. So think about that tool though in its simplest form is just how do you create a checklist of what creates ideal now now, here's the other piece that um, we can pull out of that really simple tool that we've learned over the years it's hard for people to think about this concept of ideal or extraordinary sometimes because sometimes that's way too big it's almost like you know um i've attended you know goal setting the goal setting retreat with you and you talk about the idea of someday goals there, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. that's that's almost too big for people to think about in one way or another. And it's it's for mm-hmm. similar reasons. So 
Um, part of the way that we handle that is we look at it in, in two parts. And this is something that people can, you know, can take away immediately. Um, we look at it in terms of what creates must-haves. Must-haves for the season that I'm in right now, the place where I'm already at. So we call those must-haves, but those are must-haves for what creates fulfilling work for me right now. And then we separate out those must-haves. We make a list of must-haves, but also ideals. Um, ideals or what extraordinary looks like are the, the equivalent of, you know, someday, what, uh, what am I aspiring to? What am I heading towards? And you can do that in every single area of your life, identifying what I must have right this moment, you know, must have in terms of things like quality of life, like finances, for example, you know, finances, uh, being, if I can't pay my bills, like it's probably, it probably doesn't matter how much I love the work that I'm getting to do. Right. So mm. uh, areas like, for example, um, you know, how I get to contribute or how I'm helping others, uh, how well my, my work or what I'm getting to do supports my desire to help others or the impact that I want to have or things like, you know, um, for example, you know, how much my work or what I do outside of work takes advantage of my signature strengths. Uh, and then also, you know, what people that I want to spend time around. So not just how much do I feel supported by my coworkers or boss or things like that, although those are incredibly important, but also who are the types of people that I want to spend more time around? Not even necessarily just your friends, but if I know that I, I want to be around people that push and challenge the way that I think, and that's highly important to me, then I have to go find those people in the real world in order to create an opportunity that is ideal for me. So, and then of course, and I know this is one that resonates with, with everything that the one thing teaches, uh, book wise, or, you know, at that same retreat I just mentioned, um, but values, like how well does your life or work line up with what you value the most? Because if it, if it doesn't, it's going to, it's going to create some serious issues and you won't even know why it feels so bad. So there's a variety of different areas that, uh, that we can consider, but I would encourage you to think about it in terms of how do we split it out? What I must have right now in all of those areas, and then what I'm aspiring to. Oh, that's good. I really like that. I, I I love what you said about the must-haves because it's important to like there's two I, I sometimes call it zooming in and zooming out. Yeah. Or you you need to you need to like give yourself the mental exercise or the place to kind of break out of today to imagine some other place. But sometimes that's too big to your point. And I've seen that. You're like, I if I can just get like a goal for this year, that's great. I mean, that's a great place to start too. Right. And then over time, maybe like a muscle you can you can build that up and you do it at a greater frequency to stay oriented to your point earlier about, um, you know, doing this more consistently and asking the questions about where you want to go. So you can see over the horizon on changes of life as they come, but then really zooming into like, well, what do I need to have today? So like you can root yourself in today and then unroot yourself to imagine tomorrow. Like it's a really good skill to have, to be able to think about it both ways. Well, and I'll give you an example of how this works with reality. I just got to have a really fun conversation with a woman named Christy Wenz. And, you know, we worked with her probably about, uh, I would say like five years ago. She was a client of ours at Happened to Your Career. And we helped her make this initial career change. So part of that was 
we helped her go through and identify what do you need in your life and in your work right now, right? Those must-haves. And also, you know, what are you aspiring to as well? And um, what she what she learned is that she really must have opportunity, daily opportunities to be able to write and reflect. I know that sounds super basic, but she she learned that that must be there on a daily basis. So if she doesn't have, you know, significant opportunities, at least, a, you know, even like an hour a day to be able to write and reflect, whether she's doing that in her work or doing that someplace else, then her life feels very, very different. So that's one small example of something uh, out of many things that she identified that she needed that she put in her ideal career profile. So she also learned that she loves exploring and travel. Many of us do, not everybody, but many of us do. Also learned that she absolutely loves uh, a few topics in particular. One of them is wine. And so she started thinking about after she created her ideal career profile, like how can I, how can I put some of these together? Do they even belong together? Should they be separate? Like, should some of these things be a hobby? Should they be all encompassed in my work? And what we had her do was actually create some very small experiments in order to figure these questions out. Because just sitting there and asking those questions is not going to get you any anywhere. She'd identify, she'd done a great job identifying part of what she needed. Now we needed to test it in reality uh, for her to understand, is this really this hypothesis of what she thinks she wants? Is this really actually what she needs? So she started right. She started taking on a few writing gigs actually and experimenting with it and realized, yes, this is absolutely something that she needed. And she loved actually writing for wine too, uh, for uh, like wine magazines, wine blogs, etc. And she ended up finding this opportunity with the startup to where she became kind of like their chief communication, communications officer, where she could uh, be involved in the wine industry travel a bunch, uh, write about wine, and also run a portion of the operations, which is something that she had done in the past, operations and communications, uh, which were some of the pieces that she enjoyed enjoyed from her past opportunities as well that she was trying to bring forward. So, But here's, here's the really fun part, though. I talked to her two days ago, and that conversation was five years later. So fast forward, she continued to evolve and move closer and closer to what she'd identified as ideal or aspirational. And now she's moved into this combination of roles where she's teaching about wine at a university. She is, in addition to doing that, she is also um, working for a different wine startup that she that even better aligns with what she wants and needed. And then at the same time, she has... Uh, she just ended a third opportunity where she was working with a particular vineyard and now she has this space, but she has identified some really specific things that she wants in her next stage of life. So it continues. How cool. Like, this is, yeah, yeah. This how is, cool. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it just crazy? Like how much you can accomplish in five years if you just narrow your focus down and get intentional? It's, it's nuts. It blows me away. It really, it really blows me away. It's kind of absurd, really. You said something uh, before about values, and you know, we obviously we talk about this a lot at the one thing, and yeah, I and the must-haves. I see such a connection between those two for for me personally and what I've seen, and 
uh, my own experience using values, it helps me like a, like a lens to think about like my must haves that, and what I always say is I don't always notice values as much when I'm there in alignment. Cause it feels like friction free. It feels like there's low resistance in my life and things are kind of coasting in a good way. And I have a lot more leverage, but I'll notice it's big time when I'm out of alignment, maybe not right away, yes. but it builds. And then I feel like I'm just running into a headwind and I've, I've found that values really show up for me and the ability to think about the must-haves. It's like, okay, I, I know that adventure is one of my values. Leadership, excellence, and adventure are my three. And I, I'll know that if I don't incorporate some form of adventure in my life for periods of time, I'll start to feel really unfulfilled. And then it just impacts everything else for me. It's really kind of fascinating how it impacts people's not just your feelings, but even in how you show up. So here's, we've got story after story after story uh, from many people that we've worked with, uh, but I'll actually share a quick one of my own too. Um, There was, (laughs) I used to work for this organization called ConAgra Foods and, you know, very large food organization and had a wonderful experience with working with them. Uh, But I was, I was, running a section of their uh, their organization uh, in HR leadership. And one of the things that uh, at some point, uh, my boss's boss pulled me aside and said, hey, guess what? Um, you can't run up the stairs anymore. And I know that sounds like absurd. <laughs> I know, I'll explain. Yeah. <laughs> no so ever since I was a little kid, I had been, I had been, running up the stairs. I remember having conversations with adults about like, hey, why why do adults not like run upstairs? It's like so fun. Like why why would you not do that? And then adults would pull me aside and say like at some point you get tired and everything. So I was all <laughs> like for the rest of my life I'm going to run up the stairs because it's fun and why wouldn't you? So this is something that is pretty deep seated in you know what I value and kind of identify with who I am and and, and, you know, having this leader at this wonderful opportunity, wonderful organization, pull me aside and say, hey, you're not role modeling safety for all of the other people here that, you know, yes, maybe it's not actually a safety issue for you, maybe, but it is for all of these other people. So you you can't do this anymore. This thing that is deeply ingrained and, you know, that I identify as a part of me. And when that gets taken away, it feels like I would imagine if you went a year without any kind of adventure, you'd probably feel a little bit like a shell of yourself. Have you ever had that experience where you've gone like a really significant period of time without feeling that? Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, you what have if, to experience it to know what that feels like. And it's, it's not fun. It, we found that it erodes confidence for people. They feel like they say things like, uh, I'm not even sure who I am anymore. Uh, and it has really severe both uh, physiological and psychological impacts when you're working outside your values. But the same thing also happens when you're working outside your strengths too. Um, Mm. We operate a lot with what we call signature strengths, and I didn't invent that term. Um, Guy by the name of Martin Seligman coined that term. And one of the things that you realize if you start reading books on happiness or... uh, you know, psychology or anything like that. You realize eventually all the books reference back to this guy named Martin Seligman. 
still alive, done wonderful work for many years, and he's the founder of Positive Psychology. Anyhow, so he coined this term, signature strengths, but I love his definition best, which is signature strengths really are the essence of who you are. So a lot of people think about strengths. They think it's like, well, like the sports sports analogy, like, you know, I, I'm really good at shooting from the outside or, you know, going inside. I'm pretty weak on going from the inside or whatever, like pick your, pick your yeah. thing. Or, you know, I'm pretty great with pivot tables or I'm pretty great with, uh, you know, communicating or whatever. That's not what we're talking about when we say signature strengths. Those things like pivot tables and, you know, shooting from the outside or your golf game or whatever, you know, those are more about skills. Those are more about skill development. And those are things that show up on the surface. And if you think about like an iceberg, you know, there's a thousand iceberg analogies out there. Here's another one. and if you think about the iceberg, that's what you see on the surface. However, your strengths are what is deep underneath the surface that is actually causing it to be easier for you to shoot from the outside or easier for you to grasp how pivot tables work or easier for you to naturally communicate in an auditory format. So when we're talking about signature strengths, it is the combination of nature, nurture, your experiences, how you're wired, all of those pieces that give you a distinct advantage and create talents that uh, allow you to be predisposed in these areas that cause strengths. So mm. um, that's very such different a good way to think point. Yeah, but also very connected to like the the like you said, similar to values and and having resistance. Because imagine, uh, definitely not speaking from personal experience here, but imagine, <laughs> imagine, not. of course not. Why would? <laughs> uh, imagine you're the type of person who just like you're very competitive and yeah. you refuse to fail in any environment, and so you 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 can't draw the distinction between like a strength or like, you know, this competitive uh, disposition you have to want to succeed at things. And so you find yourself battling into something that's just not natural for you because you refuse to recognize that it may not be a strength. So you have to get to that root. Like, what are your true strengths and stop getting in your own way? Yeah. And I think that's such a great point too, because that is absolutely one way it works. And another, another thing that I think is difficult for people to reframe when we're talking about strengths is the idea that if if strengths signature strengths are really the essence of who you are most first of all when you're not working in them you also feel like a shell of a person a little bit and then second of all you know, they are they are the they are the cause of both wonderful things and also negative things in your life too because it's two sides of the same coin and I'll give you an example of this too I was I remember one um one person that we were working with that happened to your career, and I had an opportunity to speak with him. He was in a in a hotel and was doing a coaching session with him. And he was telling me a story about how um, when he got to the hotel, that he couldn't start working. He couldn't. He was trying to finish up some work for the day. Couldn't start working until he straightened the picture frame, moved the lamp, and did like five or six other things in order to organize the room. And now most people hear that and they're like, oh, OCD, totally. However, you know, these OCD-like tendencies for him are very much embedded and intertwined with who he was. And when you ask his parents or ask his friends, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's just, you know, that's just, his name is Rushi. That's just Rushi. And, you know, um, like he's, that's just how he operates. But the thing that 
he didn't necessarily connect at the time was the reason that he had been really successful with this consulting career and leading teams and all kinds of other things too, was this same need, this incessant need to be able to organize things. So when he was in charge of a project, people wanted to be on that project because things just went well when Rushi was in charge. And when he was, you know, it didn't matter what it was. Like this, these same things came out in both very positive ways as well as what he'd always associated with negative ways. So if you want to think about uh, this being a, a dark side to your strengths as well, but it's, it both comes from, you know, it's the same coin, just two different sides. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like the, like you said, the coin, like some of your, behind some of your greatest strengths or your greatest weaknesses and inside of some of what could be perceived are your greatest opportunities or weaknesses could be your greatest strengths when leveraged correctly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But if you know that you can start to work with your strengths rather than against it. Hence the get out of your own way and Hence stop the get out of your running, own running. way. Yeah. Well, and here's yeah, another stop fun into fact. A um, you're probably familiar with Gallup. I mean, most of the people yeah. in the world have heard of Gallup. Not everybody knows what they do. I don't even think I knew what they did until maybe like eight years ago or something. But Gallup is a really interesting organization and they're really phenomenal at collecting data and utilizing data. Well, they happen to have many, 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 many millions of um, data points around strengths that they've collected and analyzed over the years. And one of the things that they found is that you know, those people who are actively using in actively using their strengths during their work day or any other part of their day are more likely to be more productive, feel more productive, smile more, <laughs> feel happier at any given moment when they when they ask them throughout the day. Uh, but the surprising part, the most surprising thing I found after combing years worth of reports and data, because I'm a weirdo and I love going through that stuff, is that it actually doesn't take as big of a change as what you'd think. So I, I started trying to figure out like, what's the smallest change that we could have our clients do that would yield a really, really large impact? And what I found uh, buried away, like tucked in all of this other, uh, all these other data in the, the reports is that just as little as one to two hours a day like not your entire workday, not entire, like, you know, going from, you know, working all day in real estate to this other unnamed amazing thing or whatever, just as little as spending one to two hours a day more working in your signature strengths gets you almost all of those same results that we were just talking about. I'm like, wow, that, that is way smaller than what I thought. Like that's doable for many people. Yeah. And then over time, right, there's that one to two hours per day has an exponential um, you know, hockey stick like effect on what your fulfillment or the things that you accomplish. Like we we're talking about, uh, your friend that, that you worked with, uh, in the wine, uh, and writing, it's just look at five yeah. years of probably her just investing a few hours per day and in, into that passion. And I just got a whole career. Well, and you're right. And that is, that's exactly how we find it works over and over again. Once you start delving into your strengths, then you find other opportunities to delve into your strengths. Actually, there was a Another um, another person that we worked with, ooh, I think it's probably been seven or eight years ago or so, and she's has a really interesting story because she had she had initially been working in marketing and communications, um, didn't really enjoy it that much, honestly, but she started 
really delving into her strengths. We worked with her at that point in time, helped her really identify, articulate her strengths. And, you know, fast forward, you know, she ends up getting an opportunity in uh, more in the HR space, like learning and development space specifically. So she was doing, you know, doing like leadership training for a sales team. And then she was doing phenomenally. So you know, fast forward again, she's now working in her strengths more than one or two hours a day. And her leaders are starting to recognize that they're planning her promotion just as little as is as like 10 months into it. And then that happens again and again and again. Over seven years, she bumps up the ladder four times and, you know, each time moving to a different role that was a better and better and better fit because people were recognizing that, you know, not only is she having fun, but she's highly effective. And so she's producing this disproportionate amount of value for the organization too. Well, well enjoying doing it. If we can unlock that at scale and imagine what's possible, right? Agreed. Like that is actually, that's really the big thing that drives me. Um, we, you know, when you go and look at our website, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you, you know, help people figure out like, you know, amazing careers for them. But really the reason our company exists is to help change work and how we think about work so that more people can actually thrive at work. And to your point, like imagine what's possible when many people are thriving at work as opposed to just a tiny little fraction. Yeah, it just goes back to the need to really focus on the whole person and consider your strengths in that as a component and and leveraging that and giving people the space to 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 do that in a way that is reciprocal. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. That's awesome. Right on. Right on. Well, I I know we've touched on some of it, I'm sure. Um yeah. but you there are uh, the in your framework, if I can categorize it that way, it, there are seven elements that you really identify to having fulfillment at work. Can we can we go through those? Yeah, and we did touch on a few of those before, but let, let me run through them. So we talked a little bit about contribution. It, it, almost everybody has this epiphany at some point in their lives. They're like, Chris, you know what I want to be doing? I want to be helping people. And so we all have that epiphany. Like I, mm. I actually feel really fortunate that we get to help pe many people have that epiphany. Also, we all need that. Every single one of us as humans need that. There is this human desire to help others. The question though is how, how, what are the right ways, the right context that are supporting your desire to help people? And what is the right type of impact for you? Not just... Uh, not just that you need to be helping people because arguably every type of job in the world is helping people in some way, right? Like it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, whether I'm taking out trash or whether I am, you know, uh, leading a strategy team, whether I own a company, it doesn't matter. Like they're all helping people in some way. So that's number one. Otherwise our, our economic model is broken somewhere because it's, <laughs> it's supposed to work that way. <laughs> it is. It is supposed to work. Yes, <laughs> true story. Yeah. So contribution <laughs> with an asterisk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number two, though, is what we categorize as flexibility and autonomy. And mm. you can think about this as how much freedom you have in how you work. So if you own an organization, um, sometimes there's more, more choices and freedom that are natural choices and freedom. Other times you might own an organization and it doesn't feel that way. Or certain industries, same thing. Like if you're a realtor, arguably you have a lot of, 
a lot of freedoms in many different ways. However, it doesn't always feel like that because uh, you're also trying to serve your clients. Um, No matter what you're doing, if you feel like you have the right types of flexibility and autonomy for you, uh, then it feels better. And it's very different on a person-to-person basis. So it's defining what that means for for you. And then number three is quality of life, which we also touched on earlier. But think about this as just how well your work supports the other areas of your life. You know, if your family is highly important to you and you don't get to spend any time with your family, that definitely happened to me when I took that job in Portland, Oregon. And I didn't get to see Alyssa pretty much at all. And it felt terrible. So it was not supporting the quality of life that I had envisioned for myself. But also, you know, we mentioned in the area of finances too. Like if you're not able to uh, achieve your financial goals, then that's not actually supporting the quality of life you want to have. So there's many other examples too, but your work must support your quality of life or there's going to be an expiration on it at some point. And it's not going to feel good. Um, number four, we didn't talk about. This is this is um, this is one we could probably do five or ten episodes on just on its own. But growth, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and growth is. I think that based on all the data that I've seen over the last twenty years, I think you'll continue to see more and more things pop up about growth or the feelings of growth being some of the drivers for why people leave different types of jobs, companies, careers, et cetera. Lack of growth, what they perceive around learning or challenge, creativity, variety. Are they getting the right types of feedback and support? All of those things fall into what we consider to be growth. And I'm talking about human growth. I'm not talking necessarily just about like, is there is there advancement growth potential? I love that you said that, and I, I, I could, that because I think there's a misconception there oftentimes, right? That someone needs to be in this growth mindset of advancement within this particular linear career path, and it's like phases of life apply here. Like you, maybe you're just you you are growing outside of your of your particular role in a company in a different ways, and you're good where you are. And I think uh, what's uh, Kim Scott talks about. Yeah. Uh, in her book, Radical Candor, like superstars yeah. and rock stars, like superstars, and they're in a phase where they're growing uh, and they want to move up in roles and rock stars. Sometimes they're just good where they are. And we don't need to force people into these uh, like nine box kind of traditional like growth categories where oh, they, the nine growth box. Can, yeah, <laughs> growth can mean different things to different people at different times. And so yes. I, I just wanted to, to drill into that because I think that's such an important distinction to make. I'm really glad that you said that. And actually, it's, this is something I would love to get rid of out of society in terms of how we think. I can't tell you the number of people that we've worked with or encountered at HTYC where they are they are convinced, they have this belief in their head that they must keep growing as it relates to advancement. Actually, we not too long ago, we released this, or we released a, an episode. I think we titled it... Um, how to find career happiness by stepping backwards. And it it seems so counterintuitive. Like we didn't think too much of it at the time, honestly. But then we kept finding that people were emailing us over and over and over and over again uh, because it was 
such a shockingly no way to think about it. And, you know, it was about this, we told the story of one person that we had worked with, Dan, who had, you know, moved way up the ranks and realized, you know, now that he was sort of at the top of his area, that he no longer wanted what what he had thought he wanted. He reached the top, like checked all the boxes and and didn't really want the same type of growth that he had wanted before. And he stepped into a completely different role at another organization that arguably was a massive step down, but he was getting to spend time what he in what he wanted to be doing. And more importantly, he's actually getting paid more too. Mm. It's funny how that works sometimes. It is funny how that works. We we <laughs> we have these really deep seated beliefs that uh, these one thing has to go with another thing, and it doesn't. Mm, they are not always uh, so linear, right? You yes, they're not always can so linear. break the mold. Yeah. So after growth, what 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 do you have after growth? Signature strengths, which we've delved into, mm. that you know yeah. how well your work takes advantage of your talents and predispositions and abilities. And then supportive people, which we also mentioned earlier, but there are a number of facets. Some things we mentioned earlier too, like, do you have psychological safety at your work? That's become more of a buzzword, uh, but there's really wonderful data to support. If you feel like you can make mistakes, you can fail, you can be who you are at work so that we don't have to have the whole, you know, I have to be one person at work and a completely different person at home, but I can be the same person, me, at both places. But if I have that and I am surrounded by people who support that, then it work feels very different. So colleagues and your boss, uh, and are you surrounded by those supportive people? It, You're going to say something. Man, yeah, yeah. I just wanted, I didn't want to miss something, a connection there that that I that I was making in my mind to what you're saying about supportive people and you'd said like psychological safety in the workplace and to your, yeah, to your point for sure, definitely a more of a buzzword sometimes. And it can, it can mean different things and depending on how you want to apply it. But I love what you said about being yourself at work, which ties so much to, um, leveraging in, in your signature, signature strengths, right? Yeah. If you can't be yourself then you don't feel like you can lean into those things as much. I mean, there's, there's gotta be some bumpers on the bowling lane, but I think the width of that bowling lane needs to, to be much wider than it has traditionally been. So you can let, you know, meet people where they are to leverage their strengths. Totally agreed. And at this point, there is wonderful research to support that. It's not just a, it's not just a theory anymore. I think that theory has been around for a really long time that, Hey, if you can be more of who you are at work, then, you know, it might be better for people and the organization. But now uh, we can actually prove that that is that is very true. And there's deep reaching impacts, not just for the individual, but for the team as well. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Supportive people, accountability and and having, you know, uh, accountability partners, those things all feel like they fit in there too. And having a group of people that you surround yourself by that are, you know, rooting for you and in, in, in alignment with where you want to go. Yeah. And they're going to pull you along too. You mentioned accountability. Like support doesn't just mean you know, cheerleaders, like <laughs> cheering you on. Support sometimes means I'm willing to have a hard conversation with you when you're not reaching your potential. Like those are, you know, we mentioned earlier, like building an ideal career profile. That is something that's personally on my version of my ideal career profile. I want to hang around people that are not going to just let me coast and they're going to. Be vocal about it if they see me doing that. And I want that. 
that's yeah, I couldn't ask for a higher form of of support than that. And that's what you want. It's just how ready are you for that feedback and will you, you know, <laughs> is <laughs> will it always you comfortable? It? No, absolutely not. Is it something that uh that is wonderful for me personally? Yes, absolutely. Um values is number seven, which we also talked mm. about. But the one thing that we didn't talk about is it also is not just about who you are and what you value, but also who you want to become and what you value most. It's both sides. Oh man, that's so powerful. Like who you want to become is such an important, I guess, consideration. Like when you're thinking about, it's because we're so like, I guess, destination focused at times. Like I want yes. to ha- like achieve this thing and I want to like make this much money or have these material kind of successes. And sometimes it's really more about like who you actually become uh, and who do you need to become to even earn the right to have those things. And that's really where the value comes in. Yeah. And that's such an interesting point too. Um, I'll tell you that one of the reasons that Alyssa and I originally ended up attending the goal setting retreat with y'all was because it was not because we were not reaching our goals. Actually, we, you know, we've done goal setting as a couple for, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something like that. So we're pretty good at, at reaching our goals. Like we are pretty good at just like powering through whatever. However, what we found is that even though we're really good at, at achieving our goals, we are less good about enjoying the journey along the way and challenging ourselves to think bigger in ways that really line up with our values. And so that mm. was the original reason a couple of years ago when, why we, you know, flew out to, where was it at the time? I think it was, um, oh, it was outside Austin actually. Yeah. yeah. Lakeway. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that was really valuable for us because even though we, we knew that, it's so much easier to go through it with a group of people or have other people that are supporting and leading you through it. So we found that really valuable, even though I teach this stuff to our, our clients and to you know, business leaders and all kinds of people every single day. So different when you have somebody else asking the question to Isn't it? Uh, it's to wonderful. Hold... Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's really, it's, it's something special, no matter how experience you you think you are in this it's it's way different when you have the, the kind of mirror turned at you and somebody else is holding it for sure for sure yeah well, well hey we we could go for hours i know you've got you've got to go here soon and i want to make sure we give the opportunity for the listeners if they want to learn more about what you're up to and they want to find you and inquire about your services read your book where can they find you well our home base is at happen to your career.com h-a-p-p-e-n uh, happening happening to your career or happen to your career as opposed to your career happening to you. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have a podcast if you like that sort of thing. Uh, and you can search happen to your career or HTYC and we pop up on any podcast player. Uh, and that's that's probably the, that's where we get some of the best feedback from all the people that we interact with in our world. But um, one thing that I would give for you to get a start on everything that we've been talking about, though, if you really want to take action on all these concepts that we've been talking about, because Chris, you and I have been going over like the seven keys to fulfillment, which is really nice. 
but it's only great if you can turn it into something, if you can take act, an action on it, if you can do something with it. So one of the things that we put together a number of years back is a super simple eight-day mini course. We call it the eight-day figure-it-out course that helps you begin to identify what creates extraordinary or what creates your ideal version uh, of your life and work for you. And you can go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Or you can or you can certainly go to Happen to Your Career and find it from there. And you'll get an email every day for eight days. And then it's it'll help you begin to identify what creates that extraordinary life and work for, for you. That's so cool. I hope you guys uh, get some success from, from the podcast and you've, you've taken a lot away from it. But uh, what would you have our listeners take away if they could take away just one thing from the conversation today, Scott? Well, I think the, the one thing, hands down, is when you know what you want, when you know what extraordinary looks like, when you know what ideal looks like for you, it becomes so much easier to begin working day after day to create that create that version of ideal. So the sooner that you can get started on it, the sooner you can, you know, find yourself like we were talking about earlier, Chris, where you asked, you know, how do how do you stay ahead of that? Well, this is how you stay ahead of that. So begin identifying what that looks like first on paper and then in reality. It's awesome. Scott, thank you so much for making the investment with us today and appreciate you. Let's do this again soon sometime. That sounds great. Thank you very, very much. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.